I suppose it was just that innate desire for me to succeed. That's all it was. There was, yeah, I just really, really wanted it. Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. Hey, it's Rob. Welcome to this episode of the podcast and interview with Beth Bowen. Beth recently became the first woman over 50 to complete the grueling Sri Chimnoy Triple Triathlon in Canberra. Now, this is three back-to-back off-road triathlons totaling 6.2 kilometer swim, 95 kilometer mountain bike, and a 42 kilometer run over those three triathlons. So you do swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. So listen to how Beth balanced working shift work as a paramedic back in the day when she was doing uh, Ironman and raising a young family and maintaining a high volume training load. Best of two-time Australian representative in off-road triathlon and aquathon. And in this interview, you're going to learn what drives Beth, uh, the different ways she sets goals, and what keeps her coming back to do hard things. Please enjoy my interview with the incredible Beth Bowen. I'm here with Beth Bowen, the amazing Beth Bowen, who has recently been the first woman over 50, if it's okay if I say your age, Beth. Absolutely, you can say my age. <laughs> First woman over 50 to finish the Sri Chimnoy Triple Triathlon in Canberra. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. I've been so excited about this chat and thanks. I know you're nervous. I'm a bit nervous too because I'm, I'm interview- very nervous. <laughs> I'm interviewing a superstar. Um, but just for the people at home, can you kind of take us back to maybe the first time you did a triathlon or first race and, and kind of take us through that story of, of how you got to be sure. with so my first triathlon was a really long time ago in 1995. I remember I was working in an office in Sydney and some of my colleagues decided to put a team together. So I was like, that sounds all right. I haven't ridden a bike for like 15 years, but um, sounds like I could do something I could do. So I went out and I purchased myself a $400 Malvern Star bike And I turned up um, in the middle of Sydney. It was um, up on Mrs. Macquarie's chair. We swam in Sydney Harbour in 1995. So it was so much fun, like so much fun. I I was reasonably fit because I was a bit of a gym junkie leading up to it. Um, And I just had the best time, like the whole community, the competitiveness of it. I just absolutely loved it and I had so much fun. So uh, I did that one. Um, and then, of course, I start, it was before internet days, it, I, I started Google, I started, sorry, didn't Google, I um, went into my local bike shop and found flyers for different races that were on. And I found there was this Kernel series. Um, so I took myself down to Kernel on my Melbourne Star, like about two weeks later, had another go at it um, and just absolutely loved it. And then it sort of went from there. Um, Next minute, I joined up a triathlon club, uh, started training with some people that were doing a half Ironman, and within 12 months, suddenly I was doing a half Ironman. Um, yeah, so it was, it was great. I just loved it right from the very start of it. I love how this happens in our sport. You start off with your yeah. first ever triathlon, and then 12 months later, you're doing a half Ironman. What happened after that? Yeah. So I turned up for the half Ironman. 
had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I did purchase a slightly fancier giant bike. I thought probably doing that on some hybrid kind of bike wasn't wasn't the thing. So I did buy a road bike um, and turned up at the half Ironman, got through it. And you know what? I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I had absolutely no idea about nutrition. I had no idea about pacing or any of that sort of thing. Uh, So I finished that race and then I somehow managed to snag myself a spot for Ironman. So I didn't even know that an Ironman was possible. And like within two years of me being in this team, suddenly I've got this Ironman spot, which was absolutely hilarious. And what, why did you say yesterday? Like what was it about the sprint distance and the half that made you sign up for that full? For the full Ironman? Yeah. Well, because I got a spot. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> I got a spot. I worked out what it was. I spoke to a few people that I had trained with and there was a couple of people that, you know, were much, much better athletes than me that were doing this Ironman thing. Um, and I had probably six months and I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, what do you think of that? And he's like, what? That's crazy. Like, how does somebody do that? I'm like, I don't know, but let's try and find out. So um, I had to rely a lot on uh, the people that I was training with and people within that triathlon club to get advice and to learn about the training. Um, yeah, but it, it was it was lots of fun. And, yeah, somehow got myself in 1997 to, um, to my first Ironman event. And are we talking, is that when it was still in Foster or was it in Port Macquarie? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it was in Foster still. Foster, yeah. right. So the twice I've done it was 97 and 99 whilst it was in Foster. Amazing. How did that tell us about the first your first Ironman? So um, it was a back in those days, you actually had to qualify to do an Ironman. So like, you know, it was never on the realms of what I thought that I was going to do, you know, two years into dabbling in triathlon when I really had no idea what I was doing. So um and they actually made a phone call. I remember I was at work and I received a phone call from Ironman saying, hey, you've got a spot. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, like, I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know what was involved. So, yeah, it was very surprising and it wasn't something that I set out to do. But once that spot was given to me, of course I had to take it. This is so cool. So many ultra endurance athletes have this either they go for a faster time but normally it's a longer distance more challenging race and this is what grabbed you was having that ability or that invitation to do something hard yep 100 percent, 100 percent. um and it was so like it was so new and so outside the realms of what i had ever even thought of you know, back then Ironman was was relatively new as well. So I didn't even know, know anybody that had done it. So then what's that part of you that gets ignited by that that feeling? Or what, what's, you know what I mean? Where's that inspiration? What, what touched on that point that got you going? I'm not really sure. I just think like even back then, like I always like the challenge. Like, mm. you know, it's like a... a a red rag to a bull like if someone gives you a challenge if the challenge is out there um and it's what you think is is possible yeah for me it's it's like yep yeah, let's go 
Let's go. Yep, let's go. Because I'm going to use a false percentage. 95% of the world's population will get an invitation like that and say, no way. I'm not ready yet. I haven't done enough. Uh, this is not for me. I'm not a good enough swimmer, bike, or runner. But instead, yep. you're like, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and I did have to make a phone call to my dad to say, oh, do you think that I can actually do this? Um, yeah. And it, it was probably one of the, you know, one of the best decisions that I made because, you know, pretty much my whole endurance career started from that one phone call from Ironman. Wow. What we call a defining moment where everything is kind of lynched on that one, one key moment that, that sets a Yeah, that one of, opportunity. Yeah, and yeah. you took it. Yeah. You took it. Mm -hmm. Unreal. So after that first Ironman, um, you caught the bug and you wanted to go back and you did it again two years later in 99. Can you talk us through your preparation and what was different and what you'd learned from the first race? So I definitely had a lot more structure to my training in 1999. I had a coach. Um, we did volume. There was a lot of volume that year. I remember um, looking up some, some of my old training diaries. We were riding like 400K a week, running 70K a week, swimming five or 6K a week. So there was a lot of load going into that race. But, you know, I was single. There was just me. Um, I had the time and I was, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, so had lots of energy to burn as well so I could absorb that training and it paid off. That second time that I went back to Ironman um, in that two-year period, I'm pretty sure I cut like well over, well over an hour off that race time. And to do an Ironman, so the first race time was, 12 hours, 12 minutes. So to be in the yep. low 11s, um, that was that's pretty special time for anyone. Um, but for your second Ironman as such a new endurance athlete, you must have thought you were pretty, or hopefully you thought you had something pretty special to, that you wanted to develop. Um, I, I just, I don't think that I have anything special. I think that I'm just a hard worker. I'm happy to work really hard towards my goal. I don't think I'm a spectacular uh, swimmer or bike rider or runner. Um, I can do all of them and I can do them all reasonably well, but I have the capacity to work hard for it. This is a beautiful belief, Beth. Do you, do you ever say that to yourself like when you're faced with a challenge or, or when you you know, got a big block of training or maybe you're in the middle of a run or something. Do you ever say that I'm a hard worker? Like, is it like a mantra that you're aware of? Yep. I remind myself all the time that I, I'm willing to work hard towards any goal, whether it was for, you know, more recently towards Buffalo or whether it's for triple try. If I have that goal in my head and it, especially if it's a big goal, like one of these big races, um, I'm more than willing for that training block to grip my teeth and do what I have to do to get to myself to the start line and to the finish line in the best shape that I can. Yeah, this is a beautiful trait. I mean, in the big five in, in psychology, they talk about conscientiousness being one of the predictors of success. And you've just touched on that, which is, 
if you look at your athletic identity, it's I'm not a great runner, I'm not a great swimmer, I'm not a great cyclist, but I can work hard. And so many triathletes have told me those, those same things. You know, I'm not, I wasn't particularly good at any of these things, but I can do the training that I need to and I can put the three together and get it done and look at the result of that, uh, that, that Ironman and, and what you've done since um, proves that. Cool. Can you take us um, to that second Ironman still in Foster, 999? And yep. how, did the, how did the race go and, and, you know, how did you feel and how was your mindset in that race? It was such a long time. <laughs> 1999 was a really long time ago. Um, I remember being um, nervous. I was part of a really big group that went that year. So I was a member of the Bondi Brat Triathlon Club and that club was, um, they had a lot of people that went to Ironman that year. So there was probably 20 different athletes that, that turned up at, at Ironman that year. So um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because we had such a good, solid group. I had some amazing athletes that I did my long rides with, that I did my tempo runs with, um, that also trained with the same coach. So that year, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun because there was such a good solid group of people that went. The race, from far as I, I, I can remember, it was just a good solid race. Um, my goal was to go under 11 hours and I'm pretty, I can't remember the exact time, but it was only a couple of minutes after. But I can remember like, you know, running off the bike and I had, you know, I'm pretty sure my marathon off the bike was just under four hours or around about four hours, um, which I was very, very happy with after a 180k bike ride. Um, and, I, and I still, I sort of think back now and I think, imagine if I knew what I know now, number one about mindset and number two about nutrition, what I could have done, you know, in when I was 30 years old, having those two tools but I had like such a great day. I remember my dad, my stepmom, my aunties, my uncles, everybody came up to support. Um, when I finished that Ironman, I think it was actually the first time, sorry, I'm going to get a bit emotional, first time that I actually saw my dad cry Wow! after yes. I finished that race. He was wow. um, like so in such disbelief and he was so proud that that his little girl, I suppose, could pull off something like that. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. And he was there to see you finish. He was there. My aunties, my uncles, everybody was there. They were actually sitting on the side of the run course. I couldn't remember running past them. And they all had their little stubby holders and their eskies next to them, having a beer, clapping and cheering. Yeah, it was awesome. Where did you go? Like what happened after 1999 Ironman? 19, after 1999, I, I think that... We, I met my husband, I met my husband who also was a triathlete um, in 19, oh, sorry, 2000, he did Ironman. So I was sort of support crew for a couple of years there. I sort of pulled back a little bit from the Ironman stuff. Um, I think I raced a couple of halves and some sprint distance kind of triathlons, but I certainly didn't do anything super long. Um, and we moved to Canberra in 2003, 2004, um, and then uh, I, I sort of found mountain biking when I when I came into Canberra 
it's such a great place to ride mountain bikes. What was the move to Canberra? How come you moved there from Sydney? Uh, so my husband at the time, he was an exercise physiologist. I was a paramedic. Um, we were living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. As you know, it's very, very expensive there. My husband's work, it was taking him hours and hours to drive to work each day. I was probably getting a little burnt out from being a paramedic in the middle of Sydney as well. And I actually came down, this is a funny story, I actually came down to Canberra one weekend for a cycling tour race. So it was uh, the Canberra tour. I came down with a group of friends from Sydney and it, uh, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. We went into Marnica and I sort of always had probably a bit of a Sydney view of what Canberra Amber was like. So we went out to this restaurant for night, uh, one night and this was with some lovely girlfriends. I had a very nice glass of Riesling. I had a nice risotto. And the next day we went cycling out through the Brindabellas and all around the Magi. And I was like, Canberra's actually a really, really cool place. So I went back to Sydney. I said to my husband, what do you think about Canberra? He's like, okay. Um, I did a bit of a Google. They were actually looking, uh, ACT Ambulance Service was actually looking for lateral paramedic recruitments. Threw my application in. Six months later, we we're in Canberra. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. happy? Never look back or, or regrets? Look, I'm, I'll be honest. The first probably 12, 18 months, I was like, what am I doing here? Um, but then once I found my groove here, I got into work here. Um, my husband got a stable job here. Um, yeah, I would never go back to Sydney now. I love it here in Canberra. Unreal. Beautiful. So then what happened training-wise with work, family? Tell us about how that all settled in Canberra. So we, so I joined ACT Ambulance Service. So, again, my uh, four days on, four days off kind of shift roster, which I found it was actually quite tricky initially to make friends um, to get into with training groups because of those shift hours when you're in a brand new place and you don't know anybody. So that was a little tricky initially. Um, I did join one of the local triathlon clubs for a little while um, and then I started riding a bike. Joined up with the Canberra Cycling Club for a little bit. I joined up with Canberra Off-Road Cyclists for a little bit and sort of I sort of fell into the mountain biking community a little bit more than the triathlon community. So I actually stepped away from triathlon for quite a few years whilst, uh, whilst I, I rode my bike pretty much. Interesting. Okay. And then? Yeah. Then we had children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 2006 and 2009 we had our children. So I, I think sort of through then I pulled back a fair bit from most things. You know, I was a stay-at-home mum for a while. I was on maternity leave for extended periods of time. I, I did remain fit the whole way through, though. I would still, like, go for a ride or I'd still go for a run and, and that sort of thing. But I certainly wasn't competing in anything um, until the kids sort of became, I guess, a little bit more independent and, the yeah, the kids didn't need me at home all the time quite so much. Um, and so when did you start kind of training again for, um, I guess, events or goals? So I, I actually think it was quite a bit of a spell. I think it was about 
probably around 2015 that I started to ramp things up again, to be honest. Um, as I said, I was still quite fit, but, yeah, I, I wasn't competing. I think I did, like, you know, maybe a couple of smaller mountain bike events and things like that. But, um, yeah, I certainly didn't, didn't race very much for that period of time. So you've always loved keeping fit, loved like keeping in shape. Absolutely. Yeah, maintaining. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. And around 2015, yeah. started to ramp up. What did you start training for? So in 2015, um, I left ambulance. Um, I went to work one night shift and I called my husband in the middle of the night and said, I can't do this anymore. I sort of feel like over the first the, the couple of months preceding that, um, I was starting to have trouble making decisions at work and there was little telltale signs that I was getting upset about jobs that I wasn't normally getting upset about. So I, I suppose this one night I had two reasonably traumatic jobs, um, came home the next morning and pretty much didn't get out of bed. Mm. All right. Um, I saw my doctor, um, she gave me three months off work and, yeah, I, I basically lost all motivation. I, I, I couldn't train. I didn't have the energy to train. I couldn't do groceries, let alone go for a run. Um, so it, it was a bit of a process coming out of that. I do remember probably about like two weeks after this acute episode, my husband saying, why don't you just go for a little run? I was like, no, just see how you go. So I put my running shoes on and I just went for a half an hour jog and I came back and I felt so much better. Um, I felt so much better just being physical. So I guess you know, my fitness and my love of training, like it helped me get through that so, so much. Can you help us understand from someone who naturally loves to just keep yourself fit through all those years, yep. even when the kids came along and things were hard, you were always drawn to it. Yep. Can you help us understand what it's like when you had those traumatic events and you just said you just lost all motivation for everything, including yep. You know, like... I, I suppose I didn't really understand what it was like. Um, I always saw myself as being someone super motivated, super tough, super resilient. I mean, I'd been a paramedic for 17 years um, and it was difficult. It was really difficult for me to understand and accept what was going on. Um, it, it, it's like you're in a hole and you don't know how to get out of the hole. You can sort of see the top, but you, you're not sure how you're going to get there. Mm. Um, you're, you, you kind of, in that acute phase, you lose your, decision, your ability to make decisions. Um, I can remember saying, I'm going to go to the shop and get something for dinner. And it was that traumatic that I couldn't make a decision whether to get chicken breast or a cooked chicken. So... That, like even making decisions like that becomes so difficult and and so hard that 
it takes a lot to come back and come out of those sort of that hole. Like, yeah, but, but I, I did. I climbed out of that hole. Um, I had honestly like some great help from my family, from my medical team. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for all of that. And I'm really grateful that I've come out of it whilst I'm not a paramedic anymore that I actually have a job now that is meaningful and then I've gone on to lead, you know, <laughs> most of the time, um, a fairly healthy life. It's an incredible story, Beth. Um, and, and But you mentioned it was your husband. Did Dale's um, push for you to go for a run go, and, and then you, yeah. you went for that initial 30-minute yeah. run? And I would go for a little run yeah. and I would come back and for the next couple of hours, I would feel better. I'd go back in my hole and the next day I would try and crawl out and I would go for another run or I'll jump on my mountain bike. Um, and like 100% it's what helped me. 100% it's what helped me get out of that hole. Incredible story. And then how long um, was that period where you were kind of, you said one day at a time going in and out of the hole? Yep. How did that last? Look, it, it, it was a good few months um, that... I think that I probably wasn't functioning as well as what I previously had. So, yeah, it was a good few months. I loved being a paramedic. Like I loved, I didn't love night shifts so much towards the end, but, you know, I, I loved helping Nana who fell over on the ground uninjured to help her up. Um, I liked, how, you know, helping the old ladies, you know, come home from hospital safely. Um, it was a it was a great job. And the other thing that it that being a paramedic or a firefighter does, it gives you gives you those little bouts of, I suppose, happy hormones. You constantly have that little rush of dopamine or serotonin or adrenaline when you go to work. So when you don't have that anymore, um, I, I think that that kind of affects your mental health quite a lot as well. Wow, it's an incredible self-awareness that you must have gone through that journey. It's taken a really long time, Rob. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the P, you start the PT business and then... Yep. Um, how does that morph into where you are now as an athlete over those... Can you take us through those few years? So this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot. So I think since I left ambulance and became a PT, it, things have kind of ramped up a little bit. Things have ramped up in my goals, my athletic goals. Um, things have ramped up in the distances <laughs> that I've been undertaking. Um, and I don't know whether that relates back to that trauma and looking for those little bits of those neurotransmitters to keep, uh, you know, to keep that, that brain stimulus going, if you know what I mean. Um, I absolutely know what you mean. And I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to you find a yes. way. Yeah, you find a way. It, it's the whole, whole runner's high, right? You go out for a really good run, you come back and you're excited and, you know, you feel good for hours afterwards. Um, signing up for a race gives you that little bit of a rush as well. Um, finishing the race gives you that little bit of a rush. So I think that there's lots of endurance athletes that are probably in the same boat that are just looking for those those little bits of, um, you know, excitement 
Yeah, really good. And I think I think some of us judge ourselves or judge we, we feel like it's something negative. When I really wanted to, to break through that stigma because it it's a way that, as you said, you learn more about yourself, but we're also helping ourselves um, grow in some way. And and like you said, when you sign up for that event, then you have to go through the what have I done? How am I going to prepare for this? And you find a way through the training, you find a way to balance it, and then somehow you find a way through the event itself so after that rough night shift and the phone call to dale um and your decision that you had enough as a paramedic um what happened after that it probably took i'm going to say nearly close to 12 months for me to feel like i was ready to challenge myself physically and mentally um, and once once I felt okay, I kind of got the bug again and um, things in training and racing started to ramp up. Okay, this is amazing because you, you've told us about the hole you went into and how you gradually, gradually got out of that. But to hear that after 12 months, you know, that fire was still within you. So then what did you do with the fire? So, um, like, when I was unwell, I still got out when I was able to for little jogs and little mountain bike rides and that sort of thing. So I still had a reasonable base of fitness. Um, and then I found off-road triathlon. So off-road triathlon, it's basically an open water swim. It's mountain biking and trail running. And um, one of my one of my favourite places is Crackenback down in the Snowy Mountains. And I saw that there was a race down there uh, and that was in the February. So pretty much 12, exactly 12 months after, um, after I had finished with, up with Ambulance. So that was actually the Australian Champs. So I went to the Australian Champs on off-road <laughs> off triathlon. Amazing. Amazing. Just tell us what's better about off-road than uh, tra traditional Ironman? Sorry, traditional triathlon. Oh, I I think I like the mental stimulus of being off-road. If you're on a road bike, there's just you on your aero bars on the road. When you're on a mountain bike, there is so much to think about. There's so many um, places that you need to put your body where you need to put your bike. So, and, and you just get to see really, really cool places. For a time comp comparison, but how much yep. slower is it on a mountain bike doing those hills and tracks compared to a clean <laughs> so road? That, that's a good question. So I would say half, hmm. depending, of course, on the trail. If it's a technical mountain bike, um, I would say, you know, say your average pace on a road bike is 30 kilometres an hour, your average on a mountain bike would probably be around about 15. Wow. Okay. So significant longer time on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And so take yeah. us to Krakenback to Threadbow. How, how did that race go and, and where did oh, it lead you? It was great fun. It was great fun. So the, the swim is actually in the lake there at Lake Krakenback. So um, we swam in there. Then the mountain bike trail sort of goes around the perimeter of Krakenback. It goes out um, up towards Threadbow on the Threadbow Valley Trail back in. And then the run course is really, really tough. It's around Krakenback, but it's super pinchy up and down. You actually have like a creek where you have to wade through. And I'm only short. So it was like well and truly up to my waist. 
Um, but it's just, it's really challenging. It's really hard, but it's so much fun. So much fun. Um, and I actually had a really good race that day and I came second in my age group, which wow. um, I was very surprised and very excited about. These are the Aussie championships. It was the Aussie championships and it was actually a qualifier for the world championships. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, I managed to snag myself a spot in a race that I suppose that I had never even considered. This is an amazing story for somebody who had such this rise from just a fun athlete. That's, that's the way that I see you do these things for fun and personal challenge and suddenly you've come yep. second in the Aussie champs and you're invited to world. So what happened? <laughs> well, world championships to me was a fairly big deal. So um, I had a mountain bike coach that we actually spent a few sessions down in Krakenbach going over the course, teaching me how to take the A-lines that, you know, scared the bejesus out of me generally. So um, Dylan Cooper from Ride Techniques took me down there and we I managed to pretty much ride every A-line in practice um, and I got quite confident on the bike um, and I trained really hard for that race as well because, you know, if you're going to world champs, you want to do your best. Amazing. So where were the world champs? And They were at Krakenbach as well. Okay. And what year are we talking now, Beth? Just so I'm in the... That was in 2017. Okay. Gotcha. 2017. Yeah, 2017 it was. And what was it like competing in the world championships? Uh, a little surreal and very exciting. Um, one of my favourite photos is, is me in my Australia kit, my Australia triathlon outfit, with my daughter behind me. Um, and we're at Krakenback and we're at the World Championships. Like I was so proud to put that green and gold on and, you know, and have all my family there for that race. It was, it was great fun. Does, uh, I've interviewed a few Australian representatives now. Does representing your country give you something else in a race? Yeah, it does, Rob. Like, I just think, like, it's such a privilege and it's, you know, not, not that many people get the opportunity to put on a green and gold uniform. So I was really, really proud of that. Like, I still have that kit sort of sitting up in the top of my wardrobe and I think it's something that I'll keep forever. And in the race, did you ever draw on that pride or that, that you know, feeling privileged to, to get you through a time when you were maybe taking it easy or struggling? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'd like look down and go, look at me go. Like this is, this is so cool. What an opportunity I've got. And, you know, in one of the most beautiful places in the world and we had, you know, athletes from all over the world that we were getting to show like where we live and where we train and where we race. Yeah, it was, it was such a privilege. This is so good. When, when we're, so going to back to mental skills uh, techniques, the self-talk that you had, like, look at me go, what an opportunity. These are the simple phrases that we can add into our mindset plan for any race to, to give us some boost or fuel or, or just even a long burn. Um, it's so simple. But if you find something that works for you, um, you can really add it into your plan and have your crew say it to you. You can have it written on your arm. You can have it in your drop bags and or, you know, wherever it is for you to really 
Oh, and we've learned a few of your your um, sayings and, and beliefs. Um, so then how, well, how did it pan out? How did the race go? So I actually did good. I did good. Um, I In my age group, I was seventh in the world and what? I was the third and I was the third Aussie. Unbelievable. So, yeah, that was, it was very cool. Okay, this, this just goes to show, like, uh, did you set any goals, like specific outcome goals, performance goals for that race? I, I didn't because I suppose that it's something like a world championships, you don't know who your competition is. Okay, so, so how did you approach it? Yeah. yeah. I just approached it knowing that I'd done the work knowing that I knew the course and knowing that I was going to go out there, do my best. And I was, and the main thing that I always try and do when I, when I race is enjoy it as well. Like there's no point going out and burying yourself on a mountain bike or a run if you don't love it. And if you're not enjoying it. Yes. So for those listening, if, if you ever look into goal setting and how all the different types of goal setting, so best not setting goals to win the world championship or to get on the podium, which would be an, outcome goals or a, or a time-based goal. She's setting process-oriented goals and or also intentions, which are like, how good can I be today? Or I'm going to bring my best to this race or how much enjoyment can I have today? And, and these are so much more controllable than outcome and process goals. So it's really good kind of masterclass here on how to set a goal. Yeah. But also what I get from you, Beth, is knowing yourself as an athlete, that you're drawn towards this off-road stuff. You love being in, in nature, in, in doing these tough things. That's who you are. And I think sometimes we get drawn away from the races that are meaningful to us because we maybe get caught up in other people's dreams and ideas of, of things. So it's beautiful to hear you knowing yourself and how you work best as an athlete. Wow. So after a seventh place in the world, third, third Australian, where did you go next? Yep. I was back at Crackenback. I did a race, this is in 2018, called the Dirt Master. So this was a year after the Worlds, um, back at Crackenback. So the Dirt Master was something that was always on my bucket list. What's the so, Dirt Master? Tell us about it. Oh, it's such a great concept. So it's an off-road triathlon in the morning. So it was, I think, 1.5K swim, 30K mountain bike, 10K trail run in the morning. Then in the afternoon, you do an aquathon. So that was a run, swim, run in the afternoon. I can't remember the distances. It wasn't terribly long, but it was, you know, probably an hour and a half of work. Um, uh, and then you turn up the next morning for a 21k trail run right so this you is... do all of those three events in the two days okay this is this is next level <laughs> so what okay what's the allure of this one it was it was just one of those things that i had seen and and it was a curiosity thing can i do that like i didn't think i was going to win um but yeah, it was just—it's just such a great, challenging concept. I just really wanted to go and have a crack at it and see if if I could physically do it. And and it went back to goals and, and approach was. Yep. What? How did you approach it? And did you set any 
Actual well, I was probably I was probably a little bit more competitive in that first triathlon because I I you know I I'd had like a couple of those races behind me now and I knew that I was reasonably competitive, so I did go and have a little bit of a crack on both of those two legs. Uh, the sorry, the first two events, the the triathlon and the aquathon on those days. So then, can you share with us having that? Because sometimes if you perform well, it causes you to build an expectation that you should perform better in the next one so did that happen for you or how how did that how did knowing that you did really well in the worlds affect your your performance in that try and aquathon again the thing is rob like you don't know from race to race who's turning up you could turn up and on that day you're the best athlete that has turned up at that race but the week after, there could be two other ladies that are absolutely phenomenal athletes. So I can't control who turns up. So I can control my performance. And if on that day I'm the best athlete there, that's that's fabulous. But I don't think that I would ever be at that. I, I don't think I would take it to heart too much if I didn't win and someone else that was better on that day beat me. Um yeah, so for me, especially for that Dirt Master weekend, I knew potentially that I could go very well. But if someone better turned up, well, so be it. Okay, and, and you were okay with that? Like you were able to accept that before the race or or you were looking around the yep, start 100%, line? Going, 100%. Yep, okay. yep. Who else is here? <laughs> yeah, okay. I say so good. This is a really good lesson for all of us with um, how to accept things you can't control and, and set, a, um, yeah, set a goal in line with that. Wow. So tell us that you have to tell us the outcome of this dirt master race. Cause I'm intrigued. Oh. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty sure. So I was second in the triathlon and then I won the aquathon in the afternoon. Amazing. Um, and then the, so I'm not sure about you or other athletes when you race hard in the afternoon, sleep that evening can become very tricky so I, I didn't sleep very well that night and I lobbed up to the 21K trail run the next morning, absolutely exhausted. Um, I'm, I honestly can't remember where I placed in my age group. It certainly wasn't in, I was not right at the pointy end in that, um, that trail race the next day. Um, but I performed well considering what I'd done the day before and the lack of sleep that I had had. I was more than happy with my weekend and I walked away from that weekend absolutely proud as punch because I ticked it off my bucket list. I did 100% my very, very best in one of my favourite places in the world. So I was very happy. This is so cool. I, I just love this and, and that mindset that you said before about what's the worst thing that can happen, that you've combined these two mindsets of wanting to go after hard things um, and seeing, seeing if you can do it with what's the worst thing that can happen if I don't do it. It's such a yeah, freeing 100%. attitude, Beth. I hope that people are getting this. So we're 2018 now and then where did you go? Yep. So you walked away proud as punch and then where did – where did this take you? I started running a lot. <laughs> I, I tucked the mountain bike away and I started running a lot and I discovered mountain running after that. Um, and I, in that period, uh, I did UTA 50. I went to Tekina Ultra and ran 65K. I found Honslow, like 
crazy wow. race, but mm. absolutely stunning. Uh, I went down to Bright and did Bright Four Peaks. So my love of running sort of up mountains became so running yeah running mountains basically became my thing after I packed my bike away for a little while and, and interesting that you went around to all these different places in different states to look at to basically you know experience a different state you didn't go back to the same race and try and do better or did you am I reading into that no I didn't um not yeah I didn't go back to crack and back with the off-road stuff but um I, once I started that mountain running, I don't need to know whether I can go faster for the next race. Or, and I think with mountain running and trail running, the beauty of it is that our legs take us to some really spectacular places and we can go to places that other people don't go to. So I, I want to explore with my running. Yeah, so, so beautiful. Once again, this is knowing yourself as an athlete and knowing what makes you tick. So you go and do so. For instance, the Bright Four Peaks is a is a really an amazing event, like very, very traditional event in Australia. Again, multi day. How did you go back to back to back to back? Surprisingly well. Um, I went with a couple of girlfriends, um, and so for me, normally I would go running and I come home and I do the vacuuming and you know I look after the kids and I run the kids around and all that sort of thing. So you don't get that downtime after you race or after you train because I didn't go with the family on this one we basically came home and I laid on the bed and read a book or you know ate some good food to recover and I had good sleep so my recovery after each each of those four days at, at four peaks was probably optimal so I was able to back up day after day yeah it was, it was a great experience when you decided to do a 100K race, you didn't just choose any 100K race. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, so probably just over 12, uh, sorry, just under 12 months ago, I actually had an entry for Ultra Trail Kosciuszko, the 50 kilometre. Leading up to the race, I, I sort of wasn't training very well. I wasn't excited about the race couple of weeks before, um, I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this race. Um, I sort of just, yeah, it, it just wasn't exciting me very much. And as the weeks went on, it was like a few days beforehand, they changed the course, which didn't excite me as well. Like if I go running, I like to go up hills, down hills. Um, running flat doesn't excite me too much. But I had this entry. I had this entry. A few of my friends were going. And I went, oh, look, I'll just go and do it. Hadn't really trained too much, but I'll just go and do it anyway. So we turn up the night before. I was still like, mm, maybe once you start, you'll be okay. And you know what? Like I did it for the wrong reasons. 100% I turned up on the start line because my friends were doing it, because I had the entry, not, not because I really wanted to be there. So right from the get-go, I was not happy about being there. So... Could you just share with us, sorry, oh, sorry, before you go on, can you just share with us what wasn't there that led you to say, I did it for the wrong reasons? Like, what was missing? It wasn't in my heart. Like, I race because 100% I want to be there. Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know sometimes what draws me to certain races, um, but I wasn't excited. That and is such like a beautiful me, answer. I'm so sorry. That is just all of me did yeah. not want to be there. Yeah, and for those, and I think that. Go on. Sorry. No, no, go on. I this is beautiful. When, I think that when you do an ultra or you run a marathon or you run something long, you can't just do it. You need to do it because 100% your head, your heart want to be there, and you're always going to suffer, and you can't suffer if you don't really want to be there. So I got to 30 kilometres in that race and I just went, I am not having fun. I don't want to do this. And my coach was there and I said, Gav, I don't really want to do this. And he said, you know what, don't do it. Don't do it. So I, my first race in nearly 30 years that I DNF'd mm. wasn't because I was injured it wasn't it was because my heart wasn't in it so i walked away from that race um and did a lot of soul searching i suppose um and it's funny my husband started listening to your podcast rob and i was pretty down after utk and i was like well maybe it's just because i'm not tough enough anymore maybe i've lost that grit maybe Maybe I just don't really want to do it anymore. Um, so I started actually listening to your podcast and it was one of the first ones that you did and you were talking about how to bring yourself back into the moment when you're not really wanting to be there or if you're, you're not feeling it or if your head's gone into the wrong space. And I was like, geez, I wonder if I had those tools that I learned about on your podcast whether I actually would have gridded that race out. Did you get an answer? So, I'd love to hear where you went. Yeah, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, thank you. I, I'm fascinated by what you said. So when you did the soul searching and you found that wasn't in your heart, um, is, is it that as simple as you for you now with how you choose a race? Is it something that you have to feel that you absolutely want? Is, is that more of an internal check-in when you're looking? Yep, yep. 100%. So... Yeah. I think now that I'm choosing longer events, so Buffalo 100 at the start of the year and then Triple Try at the back end of the year, you have to be all in. You have to be all in in those races. You can't have doubt that you maybe sort of don't really want to be there. I think you have to 100% with your head, your heart, your whole being want to be at that race and want to succeed at that race. I love this. So you, after the 50K, um, you said, I'm going to choose carefully. I want to listen to my heart. And you chose that Buffalo 100K, 5,000 yep. plus metres of gain and loss. <laughs> uh, yep, 5,300 metres of elevation and descent. Tell us it's about crazy Yeah, tell us about Buffalo. So Buffalo, um, Buffalo is, it's so hard, but it's so magical so you go to some, like, if you've been to Bright, like, Bright is just, like, one of my favourite places in the world. It is beautiful. And those mountains there are like nothing that we have in New South Wales. Like, they, Kosciuszko doesn't compare. Um, and they're just big and they're intimidating and they're raw and they're just a bit crazy. Um, and, yeah, and, and I think listening to some of the things that you talk about, Rob, 
like I was able to draw on some of some of those in that decision making. Um, I wanted to do something that was completely outside of my comfort zone and I wanted to do something that was going to be a little bit out of the ordinary. Well, you absolutely smashed the Buffalo run. It was one of the most inspiring things from my year was seeing you finish that race through the fear that you had for the, some of those descents and the climbing and you absolutely smashed it. Um, can we go on to what you did last weekend? So triple try. Triple try is here in Canberra. It is a crazy race that basically circumnavigates the whole of Canberra. You start on one side of Canberra and make your way through three different lakes. You ride in three different places. You run in three different places. Um, it's very basic. Like, yeah, it doesn't have the flash. It doesn't have, you know, finishes, towels and participation medals and all that sort of stuff. It is just back to basics, tough racing. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a great event. It's run by Sri Chinmoy. So as I said, there's no flash. Um, it's just everyone out having a really, really good time. And it's an awesome community event. So majority of people that do triple try will do it in teams of three in six or in teams of nine. So you see lots of like work groups, sporting groups, all sorts of different people coming together to do the race. So it's a, got a really good community feel about it as well so good it's you you say it like it's a it's a get together but it's three triathlons back to back <laughs> you, but let's take i want to hear all about your race you were the first woman over 50 to ever complete the yep. race can yes. you take us through the race from start to finish and tell us about your mindset in particular but or how you manage your nutrition what the weather conditions yep. are like the whole thing I want to hear it all oh gosh okay so going into the race, um, my decision whether, you know, to, to do the race, it was a big decision. So, and it had to be a family decision as well. Like it requires a lot of training. It requires a lot of eating. It requires the, your family to be 100% on board with this sort of thing. Um, my husband has done triple try solo before, so he knows what it's all about. Um, so I sat down with them and said, what do you think about this? And my children, I suppose, between my husband and I are so used to us doing this sort of stuff that they're like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> off you go. Um, so, so we all sort of sat down and it was like, okay, yep, yeah, off you go. You go and go and have a crack at this thing. Um, so, so I approached my coach, Gav, and said, what do you think? And he was super excited. Uh, he's never coached anyone for triple try before because um, there's a, not that many people that do it solo. For him, it was a really big learning experience as well. Um, so it was he he calls himself more of a consultant than a <laughs> than a coach. So we have this um, awesome relationship where I can say, Gab, I think I need to do this, and he will somehow manage to pop it into my program, and then suddenly it's up on training pegs, and he'll organise my week for me. Um, so. I did decide to do it and then I had a bit of a false start. I went to a course and I spoke to you about this, Rob, that um, I questioned whether 
I was making the decision to do triple try for the right reasons or not. I listened to a presenter who was, a, was an amazing ultra-distance athlete who said, when you're choosing races, you should be choosing them for the experience and for curiosity rather than doing them for ego. So I stepped back from that and I went, well, my goal is to be the first woman over 50 to complete this race. Is that ego? I think that's ego. And so I went, no, that's the wrong reason. So I pulled back from it for a little while. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, hang on, I'm really curious as well. I'm curious to see if I can at 52 years old complete this race. So so then I decided, yeah, maybe you have to have a little bit of ego as well. Like you can't step up to a race like that unless you think that you're capable. But I was, I think the main reason was that I wanted the adventure and I wanted, and I was curious to see if I could do it. Fantastic. Um, so back on track. I was back on track. Yeah. Quick call to Gab. Sorry, pop it all back up on training peaks. We're back on. <laughs> so good. Um, and then go on. I'm, I'm captivated. So uh, I had a really, really good, I'm going to say, oh, 16 weeks, 14 week block of training. Um, I spoke to a, a friend of mine, Rowan Beggs French, who has done triple try solo three times. Amazing athlete, holds the course record, called him. Ro, if there's one training session that you think you would need to do before going to triple try solo, what is it? He told me the session. I gave it to Gav. He popped it in my program. So I knew that I had that coming. Um, and I just got down to business pretty much. I hadn't been on my bike for probably two years. So, um, and my technical mountain biking skills, when I got back on, left a lot to be desired. They probably still do, <laughs> um, but they're okay enough to get me through. Um, so, yeah, I knuckled down and I swam a lot. I rode a lot. I had a bit of an ongoing foot problem um, that was limiting my running a little bit. But the good thing with that was that I got to spend more time on the bike and coming out of Buffalo, I was, I was fairly confident with the running anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I just, yep, got the work done pretty much. I got the work done. And it, some days it wasn't easy. Some days I did not want to go out that door. Um, but the goal of getting to that race and getting to that finish line, it, it meant so much that I just sucked it up and I got out the door. What? Did, how did you get out the door? What, did you say something to yourself? Was it something you had written on the wall? Or it, it, I suppose it was just that innate desire for me to succeed. That's all it was. There was, yeah, I just really, really wanted it. So I want to go back to your training for the triple try. Can you take us through yeah. what it looked like, how many sessions a week uh, and how you managed it with work and family and trying to keep a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, lucky, as I said before, my family is very supportive of my endeavours. Um, so training training was, was great. Training was a lot. So I was training probably between 12 and 14 hours a week, um, probably two, three swims, 
um, quite a few k's on the on the mountain bike because I did have a lot of work to do on the mountain bike, and then I was running as much as my foot allowed me to. Um, most of the training I did on my own. So as a PT, we work kind of weird hours. So when people are at their squads, we're at work. When people are at work and not training, that's when my training time is. So um, during the day, I did a lot of stuff on my own. Um, yeah, which, like, you know, it's good in some respects because it's it's good to get in your own head and practice being out there doing it all on your own. But it also can get quite lonely as well, having to do so much solo kilometres on a bike especially. Yeah, sure. It's, it's an amazing block of training to hear you're doing 12 to 14 hours on top of everything else going on in life. Um, so through to race day, how was your mindset in your, in your lead up and, you know, especially in that last kind of week before the race? So leading up to the race, even though I was probably feeling fitter and stronger than I had for years, even fitter and stronger than what I felt in the lead up to Buffalo, for example, I still didn't know if I had a place at that start line. Can you say more about that? Um, so I, I suppose the race, when you do it solo, the people that do it solo are there's very few females that front up for this thing. I think last year they didn't have any females. Um, there's maybe one or two, but there'll be a handful of guys that turn up for this race. The guys that turn up for this race are very seasoned, um, amazing mountain bikers, good trail runners. They're awesome swimmers. They're what I look, what I think when I think of like a, a, a typical ultra endurance athlete and then there's me it's just 52 year old mum and I didn't feel like I really had a place at that start line and this kind of went up I reckon until like a few days beforehand um, so it's something that I do struggle with um, a bit of imposter syndrome I suppose turning up to these kind of races and especially as something as big and scary as triple try I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling that you're saying, but we have to also give you credit. No one had ever done it before. So you were actually no. facing up to something huge that hadn't been proven. Um, yeah. So how did Which you- Which is uh, really scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really scary because I was like, well, but why? Why has no one else fronted up to do this? What makes me think that, I can do it. Why am I going to be the first one? And, you know, so there was that in the back of my mind as well. And what got you through that and to know that you were going to start and, and do it in spite of all those thoughts? I actually kept going back to one of your earlier podcasts. It, um, Jay on there who kept saying, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is that I don't finish that race. And it really, in the scheme of life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't finish that race. I would probably be devastated if I didn't finish that race. 
but I would get over it. So that's how I fronted up to that race. That's that's really sometimes mindset work can be so simple that people think it's not powerful, but that's a huge decision and a really simple way to move past all of those thoughts you had. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, then in the 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 week leading up to the race, I became a little obsessed with checking the weather report. <laughs> so Canberra in November can be really ridiculously hot or it can be really cold. You never know. It's like a lucky dip in November in Canberra. So I came quite obsessed with checking the weather in the uh, the week leading up to the race. Well, you had good reason to. So we talk about <laughs> there's a cliche in ultra-endurance stuff, which is control the controllables. Now, while the saying is yes. pretty pretty boring and cliche, weather is one of those things that you cannot control. And can you tell us what the predicted weather was and then what it was like on race day? So you're exactly right. I had no control over that weather um, and endurance sports. Mother Nature has a big say on how your day is going to pan out. Um, so it was predicted to be 31 degrees and windy. So being a 52-year-old lady and any other ladies of, uh, around that age will know that our temperature regulation is a little skewed around this time of our lives. So it was quite like I was really worried about that weather and how I was going to deal with that weather. Um, so I did have a fully um, like a black Lycra triathlon suit that I was going to wear. I had to reassess that because at 31 degrees, that was going to get way too hot. Um, so it was a last minute dash down to the local runner's shop and luckily they had some triathlon shorts um so i did have to change my outfit in the in the so and i hadn't trained in that which was also a bit scary um but so i had to just make little adjustments in that in that uh week leading up because it was going to be so hot uh, i sat down with my crew which was my husband and my daughter matilda and we spoke about different ways that we were going to deal with the heat on the day as well. This is really good. So when we talk about controlling what we can control, the weather is something out of our control, but we can prepare for it. So can you t tell us some strategies that you had in place uh, for that, for those really harsh weather conditions? So ice was my biggest friend on the day. So uh, Matilda and, and Dale went out, they filled an esky up with ice. We had I used ice bandanas for the runs. I had ice down my crop. I had ice in my hat. Every aid station that I went to, I would pop water over my head as well. Um, and that made a huge difference. As soon as that ice bandana went around my neck, oh, my gosh, it was like, an, it, was like it gave you a boost of energy to help you continue running because it was brutal on the day. So the first run leg goes through um, Madura and Ainsley. Um, it's an 18, nearly 19-kilometre run um, off that first bike ride. And a lot of that area is super exposed. And by the time you get there, it's sort of approaching 9 o'clock and you're out there for a couple of hours and, um, and it got really, really hot. Um, I saw my family at the top of Mount Ainsley and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And they were like, you're looking much better than some of the other runners coming in. It's okay. Wow. And that's all I needed to hear there. How good is that crew? What a 
beautiful thing to say um, uh, to give you that confidence. And just, just to take a step back for everyone listening, it is a triple try. It is swim, bike, yep. run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. Can you give us the yep. totals that you cover over the day? So all up, it was about five and a half K of swimming. So that was in three different lakes, Lake Ginandera, Lake Burley Griffin and Lake Tuggeranong. And anyone that knows Lake Tuggeranong, they would go, what? You swam in Lake Tuggeranong. Um, so I actually love seeing people's expressions when you're going to tell them, when you tell them that you're going to swim or you have swum in Lake Tuggeranong. And, and why is that um, for the punters at home? It's... It, it's um, in a suburb called Tuggeranong. It's just a big body of water that people tend to throw shopping trolleys in. Um, they're rubbish from KFC or McDonald's. It's stagnant. Um, it's not, it doesn't look like a very inviting place to uh, want to go for a swim. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, and then there's about, uh, it's around about 100K of mountain biking. That mountain biking, though, has some fairly significant climbs and descents in it. So there is one famous hill in Canberra um, on Black Mountain. It's actually called Push Bike Hill because you actually have to push your bike up the hill. Um, it's, it, and in bike shoes, that's not easy either. Um, so you actually get off right at the bottom and you just hike your bike up that hill. And it's quite, it, it's quite tough at the start of the race. Um, so about 100k of mountain biking. And as I said before, my technical mountain biking skills aren't what they used to be. So there was a few sections on the day where I was a little worried. Um, and yeah, I was actually quite scared of some of the sections. And I was really relieved when I did get through those sections. Uh, yeah, but um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big day on the bike. It's a really big day on the bike. Uh, there was a, on the last bike leg, there is two particularly steep and hairy descents, which in the lead up I was concerned about. Um, and I gave myself permission on both of those hills that if I felt like I needed to, that I was going to get off and I was going to walk down those hills. So I did do that on the day. Um, and running, it was about 45 kilometres. Um, the race goes up. I think it's 10 different, well, they call them mountains, I suppose they're hills, um, different hills in Canberra. So there's Ainsley, Majura, Black Mountain, Mount Waniasa, Mount Taylor. So if you're a trail runner or a mountain biker in Canberra, you probably have run at least or ridden at least one of those big hills, which makes it super cool. It's an incredibly tough course. Like the, the, distances, the distances that you did on the terrain that you did in the conditions that you did uh, it's really quite amazing to hear the story when you put it all together. Uh, just want to touch on one thing, talking about controlling what you can control. You mentioned before your mountain bike technical skills weren't great. Um, yep. But you went out and you did more mountain biking because it was your weakness. And this is a way that we can really improve our confidence and our, reduce our pre-race anxiety by learning how to change a flat tire, doing the hard sections of the course, learning how to use your walking poles. Um, trialing the nutri nutrition that you're not sure of. And you did that as well. Just, just want to touch on that as well. So 45 kilometres of running. Tell us, so from the top, of, you left us at the top of Mount Ainsley when your crew said you're looking yeah. better than the rest of the bike. <laughs> I think they were just being nice, to be honest. <laughs> what a great crew. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I did throw an ice bandana on at the top of Mount Ainsley because I was super hot up there. Um, and as I said, it gave me... 
it gave us a, a, a put a, a bit of a spring in my step. So I went down Mount Ainsley um, and hit the War Memorial, and then it's a road section down to Lake um, Lake Burley. Um, I actually ran that session with a friend of mine who was actually running in a team. So that was great. I could hear someone yelling at me from behind, Bowen, 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 and she caught up with me and we chatted and and ran all the way down to the lake. Um, I got down to the lake and honestly, Rob, I had so much support down there. I had friends and supporters that had just come out just to say hi and to say good job and keep going. And it was it was amazing. It was so exciting. So exciting. So I came into transition there and crew was waiting for me. Um, and then it was a it's a three K swim in Lake Burley Griffin. I had a paddler waiting for me as well. So our, our my friend Chris was paddling in a kayak for me just to keep me on track, um, to give me some fuel when I needed it, and to make sure that I was safe out there as well. Unbelievable. Let's touch on fueling. You just mentioned it. Then how did you fuel? Yeah your race what was your strategy so i'm fairly particular and i do plan my fueling out prior to any long event now um, so i aim for about 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour that's usually a combination of spring energy gels um, which have about 45 grams of carbs in each one and i also use a mix on the bike and 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 running of infinite which is about 60 grams as well so Usually I use a combination of those. I also try and have a little bit of solid food as well, especially when you're out for a really long time, you do get a bit hungry. So uh, I try pancakes with a bit of jam or uh, just a plain white bread sandwich with Vegemite, handful of chips, lollies. Like I had uh, in each transition, I had pretty much a banquet of different things that I could choose to eat when I went in. But I did take my fuel with me on all the legs. Excellent. How did that go? Did you get flavour fatigue? Did you have enough of something and have to change something else? How did it go as the race got longer? Look, um, it started off super. And towards the end, it didn't go as well as what I planned. So the problem was, especially on the bike, that because the day was so hot, um, my drink bottle became really warm so drinking a sports drink when it's warm was not very palatable so I really struggled especially in that last triathlon to keep my calories up um, one thing that I did absolutely love on that day was frozen coke frozen coke was my savior <laughs> um, so on pretty much on every leg, um, my crew had a frozen Coke. When I sat down to change shoes or to get a wetsuit on, I would just sip at that frozen Coke um, and that helped cool, but it also got a few calories in as well. Good on you. Oh, this is amazing work. So you mentioned that last triathlon. Take us through that last triathlon. What time of day did it, did it start that last swim? Uh, what were the conditions like? Okay, so the last triathlon... There is a cutoff, so you have to be out of that swim, the last swim, and onto the bike ride by 6 p.m. So that was in the back of my head that given the heat and um, and the day that perhaps I wouldn't get there in time. So when I came into the run before the last swim, 
I said, how is my time looking? Am I going to make it? And they're like, Beth, you can walk. You can walk and you'll make it. It's okay. Just relax. So um, taking that pressure of that time cut off out of it was great. So I could just walk up to the top of Mount Taylor and I just jogged, walked all the way back down onto into Lake Tuggeranong. So Lake Tuggeranong got down there and, again, there was like an amazing support crew down there for me again. It was super exciting. Um, wasn't that easy getting my wetsuit on on that leg? I have to tell you, the wetsuit was wet. I was hot and sweaty, so it, it must have looked like a little bit of a comedy, me trying to get my wetsuit on for that last 1.2K swim in Lake Tuggeranong. Um, but once we got it on, I had a frozen Coke and, and I was off on that swim. And the good news was I didn't run into any shopping trolleys or any rubbish <laughs> and managed to climb up out of the ladder on the other side. And I felt um, like a big relief when I got out of that swim because I I didn't need to worry about cutoffs. I just needed to get the rest of it done. Amazing. All day you'd mentioned you'd broken the race up by leg. So you were focusing on the leg that you were in instead of... Yep. Yeah, so that's how you broke the race down. Uh, I know Correct. that that cut off in that last swim was something that was looming in your mind in the weeks before the race. Um, yes. Did you just want to touch on that? Did you was that that question? What's the worst thing that could happen that, that helped you say, well, I'm still going to do it even if I miss that cut off? Or how did you reconcile it? Oh, I broke down the times of what I thought each leg was going to be, and. I didn't think that I, unless I had a flat tyre, I had a mechanical on my bike or I had a really, really bad day, I didn't think that I would miss that cutoff. So I was okay with that. Um, and if, you know, if I did get a mechanical and I had to, you know, sit on the side of the road and change a tyre or whatever, so be it. Again, yeah, exactly right. What is the worst thing that can happen? I don't make it because I get a flat tyre. I'll go back and have another go. So beautiful. So this is a big thing that we can learn from this from you, Beth, is that acceptance is such a huge thing in racing. And that's that, that, that phrase from, that you used, what's the worst thing that can happen, allows you to accept all the things that could go wrong and say, I'm still going to do it anyway. So amazing. Yeah. And I, and I think that like in the lead up to the race, my expectation of what time that I thought that I was going to do when I knew it was going to be hot, I had to let that expectation go as well. And I think that going into races, I think we need to sort of look at the bigger picture. Sometimes it's not just about the time. So if it is going to be super hot, you are probably not going to run as fast as what potentially you could if it was 20 degrees cooler. Such a good point. It's why it really isn't an accurate comparison to compare one this one race with the same race the next year because it, there's so many yes. variables within it. So that's great. Correct. Yeah. Okay. We need yeah. to get to. I, I'm just dying to hear how that last run leg went and and take us through to the end. So the last run leg. Um, once I got off that bike, um, oh, I was just so relieved. I was so relieved that all I had was a 13k run to go. <laughs> I said to my, <laughs> I said to my crew, I want to change my clothes. Um, I've been running in triathlon pants all day, which were fine, but I just wanted to freshen up. I wanted to feel like this was a completely new section. So I quickly nicked into the loo and I changed into a pair of comfortable shorts, 
a clean white top, a new cap, different runners, and I felt like it was a new race. Um, at that leg, I was also allowed to take a pacer with me. So my friend, uh, Cherie, who we have done some amazing things together over the last few years, um, she knows that I, well, she knew going in that I probably wasn't going to be the chattiest of friends on that last 13K run. Um, but that's that's the great thing about having a friend that knows you well as a pacer. Um, so, so the last 13K, it was great. It was just so good. We just hiked up to the top of Red Hill and then, like, it was pretty much a, a jog. I, I'd call it a jog, a jog walk all the way down to Yarralumla to, to that finish line. Um, it was funny when the sections that I did run, I would count it down. I'd walk and go, okay, on three, I'm going to start running again. And then off I'd go, one, two, three, and then a little bit of a jog all the way through. Um, and, and getting to that finish line was ridiculously overwhelming, to be honest. It was really overwhelming. Um, Shri Chimoy, all the team was there. There was people I didn't know that had waited for me to finish. Um, and it was kind of a little bit unbelievable that I actually did this thing. It was unbelievable that I did it. Um, so there was a few tears at the end of that. Um, and, yeah, I was just completely overwhelmed. Being the first female over 50 to finish the Sri Chimoy triple triathlon. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was crazy. <laughs> It's just I just one of the most inspiring stories because you, you did it in style and the way like I was getting updates throughout the race and you had a smile on your face in every photo. You were radiating <laughs> joy. You were, it seemed like you brought that mindset to the race. Can you talk from that perspective? I was just so grateful to be there, to be honest. I was grateful that this 52-year-old body allows me to still do this stuff. Like how lucky am I? How lucky am I that I can front up and I can finish this thing? Um, there was only one time at that race that I actually questioned my ability to finish. Um, but it was fleeting. It was, it was very quick. Um, and I remind myself where I've been. I remind myself what I've done, um, and that's all it took. The rest of the the rest of the day, I was just getting to the next checkpoint. I had nine checkpoints to get to, and that's how I went through my day. Um, so yeah, I, I was just happy to be out there. To be honest, I was happy, and like I I think going into that race, I had so much support I had so many people behind me that wanted me to succeed they wanted me to get to that finish line so knowing that I had all of that all of that love and all of that support like I wanted to do it for everybody else as well like everybody that had my back um, going into the race so it wasn't just for me like you know yeah it was for everyone that got involved with with my prep and my friends, my family, that everyone that was excited about me fronting after this. So many lessons you've just given us in that last minute of wisdom of how you put it together. Um, Beth, thank you. Can you 
what advice do you have for someone who's listening who wants to do something hard or, or you know wants to take it to the next level but maybe they're second guessing themselves they've got a bit of imposter syndrome have you had what would you say to them yeah I just think if it's something that lights your fire that makes you get a little bit nervous in your belly that you know your heart draws you towards I think that you should just go and have a go um yeah just go and have a crack at it the worst thing is have, that can happen is you don't get to that finish line and then you readjust and you go back and you have another go at it. Um, there's just so many beautiful races. There's so many beautiful events. I just think that, you know, we're, we're so capable. We're all so capable and you just have to believe in your belly and in your heart that you can go and do it and just I'd say just go and have a crack, to be honest. So beautiful. Beth Bowen, you are a gift to us all. You are and will always be the first women, woman over 50 to finish this incredible race. Uh, you are That's crazy. You are the record holder and thank you. well-deserved and an inspiration to me and everyone who knows you. Where can people follow you? Where can they find out more about you if they want to? Oh, gosh. Um, just a little me on my Instagram page or they can friend me on Facebook. Um, that would be amazing. Okay, excellent. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much okay. for your time, for what you shared. Um, I know you were nervous, but you gave so much and we learned so much from you. And I you hope wrapped, I didn't talk too much. I'm no, <laughs> you wrapped so many mindset um, strategies and tactics into what the stories that you told. So, Beth, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rob, and thanks for having my back. <laughs> you are so welcome. Such a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Mindset for Runners podcast. I hope you got something practical and useful out of this podcast or something inspiring to help you get out for your next run. If you have a question about Mindset for Runners or athletes in general, please email me at robmason.run at gmail.com and I'll answer your question on an upcoming podcast. And if there's anybody you know who could benefit from the information I share in this podcast, please share it with them. See you next time.